your Bibles to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as a day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there, were, there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men, For they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? And am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with a perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, and boys and girls, there was a famous minister one time who said he was playing hide-and-seek with his grandchildren. And one grandchild, who was not particularly thin, was hiding behind a narrow tree, And she called out to her grandfather, Grandpa, you can't see me. And her grandfather, with a smile, said, I can see you, 
my grandchild's. But then in a in somewhat somber tone, the minister said that was the same folly of Adam and Eve, who thought to hide from God in the Garden of Eden. And of course, boys and girls, God could see them, and God could see right through their attempt to hide from him, to cover their sin and shame with fig leaves. But Adam and Eve are not the only ones who think they can hide from God. In fact, many people think they can hide from God in plain sight. Many even try to hide from God in church. Now, it is one thing for someone to see us commit a sin or to hear us say something that is sinful. But it's quite something else. If somebody knows all about us, they, they've, they've known us for years. They, they can anticipate sometimes what we would say. Now, we might be embarrassed, maybe even annoyed, if someone would follow us around everywhere we went, overheard every conversation we had, saw everything that we did. But we might take comfort in thinking, well, nobody really has the time to do that. Nobody really has the interest to do that. Nobody is even able to do that. But if we just think a moment, there is someone who has the time. There's someone who has the interest. And there's someone who has the ability to see everything we do, hear everything we say, even though our thoughts are far off. It's our all-knowing God that we want to consider this morning. And let me just preface by saying we're doing a series, actually for the first time, through the Belgic Confession of Faith in Burgessville. As you may know, Article 1 is all about the attributes of God, so... I believe it's close to 10 years since I preached that attributes of God in Burgessville. I think it's 22 years since I preached something like that here. But what we're doing there is taking one at a time. And with each attribute, we're looking at that attribute in God. And in the second place, that attribute in Jesus. And then in the third place, that attribute in us. What does that have to do with us. So our text is actually not from Psalm 139, it's from Hebrews chapter 4, <clears throat> verse 13. These words Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his, that is, in God's sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And I would just Read briefly Article 1 of the Belgian Confession of Faith. We all believe with the heart and confess with the mouth that there is one only simple and spiritual being which we call God, and that he is eternal, incomprehensible, invisible, immutable, infinite, almighty, perfectly wise, just, good, and the overflowing fountain of all good. 
So our theme is the omniscient one. And as I mentioned, omniscience and God, omniscience in Jesus, omniscience and man. The word omniscience comes, it's a compound word that comes from two Latin words. Omni means all. Scientia or science means knowledge. Put together, boys and girls, God is all-knowing. And it should be obvious to us that the only being who could possibly be and who is all-knowing is our true and living God. And so we want to approach this subject uh, with reverence and awe because there is no one uh, like our God. So, boys and girls, when I was your age, I remember every now and then hearing somebody say to another person, you know it all. Now, what they meant is not that that other person knew everything. They usually would say it in a sense that, well, you don't know as much as you think you know. It wasn't a very nice thing to say. And I think we all know there are people who are very highly educated, who might know a lot about certain things. There are people who are very experienced. There are people with, with skills that, that we marvel at. And yet, even people who study a subject their whole life, if they're honest, they can really hardly ever say, well, I know everything about that subject there is to know. And that's just one thing. But the fact of the matter is, There is someone, there is our living God who knows, and let me say it slowly, boys and girls, who knows everything about everything. And our God never had to study a single moment. He knew it all. In fact, what I'd like to do just for a moment is first briefly describe what omniscience looks like. And then as we're doing that, we want to see from the word of God, from the Bible, how the Bible explains and and demonstrates that God knows everything. So let's start about the broadest sense. So God knows everything about the past. He knows everything that is happening now. He knows everything that will ever be. So to illustrate that, there was a, an astronomer, a, a, a scientist who, and I'm going to say the word guesstimated, that as far as we can see now, and that's limited sight, he guesstimated there are 10 trillion galaxies in space, and that in each of those galaxies, they contain roughly a hundred billion stars. Ten trillion galaxies, a hundred billion stars each. And yet, boys and girls, God doesn't have to guess how many stars there are. Because the word of God, Psalm 147, verse 4, says, he tells the number of the stars and He calleth them all by their names. He has names for them all. And God not only knows about the stars, but he knows about the gas clouds. He knows about the the black holes. He knows about the meteors. He knows about the comets. He He knows about the planets. He knows about everything he created in the universe. Imagine the knowledge of God 
on a grand scale like that. But then, boys and girls, God also knows about the tiniest things, things that we can't even see. You think about bacteria or viruses that cause sicknesses. And God not only knows about them, but he uses them. In the Bible, we see that he controls sickness. Jesus healed people of sickness, and he also sends sometimes sickness as a judgment. In the Bible, it's often called a pestilence. And when you think about tiny things like that, researchers are always trying to to find, to detect smaller and smaller objects, the, the tiniest of which they, they might call subatomic particles. And some are so small, we can't even see them with instruments. We know they're there because of how they affect things around them. But to think that God knows all about them. He created them all. So God knows the vast universe, the ends of which we don't even know, and at the same time, the smallest part of his creation that we can't even see, which is why Jesus could honestly say that not one sparrow is forgotten before God, that not a single sparrow, or for that matter, any bird, falls to the ground and dies apart from the knowledge and the will of God. In fact, in Luke 12, 24, Jesus tells us God feeds, God feeds the ravens. In verses 27 and 28 of the same chapter, he says God clothes, you know, you put on clothes, God clothes the grass with lilies, with flowers. Jesus says, God knows the very hairs of our head, exactly how many there are. And he takes care of us. Now, if God knows things that maybe to us seem relatively unimportant, just think about how he watches over us. Creatures that are very important to him, created in his image. And so with with that all in mind, you think about the closing chapters of the book of Job. I think it's 38 to 41. Question after question after question, God asks Job. And all of those questions simply demonstrating the vast knowledge of God about so many things, about really everything. But not only that, God knows everything about the past meaning he knows every thought that every person has ever thought, every word that everyone who ever lived ever spoke, every deed ever done. That's why Jesus at one time said, I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof, in a day of judgment. Now, if you think about that, how can we be called in judgment for every single word, idle word we spoke, if God didn't know them all and remember them all? Every idle word that was ever spoken throughout all of history. But then he not only knows the past, children, he knows what's going on now, the present. He knows what you're thinking right now. He knows every thought of every person 
who lives all across the world, and he knows the future too. He knows it perfectly. He's got it all planned. And so he knows everything that will ever happen. He knows every thought that will ever be thought. He knows every word that will ever be spoken. So he knows the past. He knows the present. He knows the future of all and every part of creation, everything happening in the furthest reaches of this universe, in the tiniest recesses of our bodies. He knows it all. He has it completely under his control And that control is described as his providence, which in the Belgic Confession is considered in Article 13. But maybe the most remarkable of all children, God knows all of this. He knows everything there is to know, and he holds it in his infinite mind at the same time. He doesn't need to sort things out. He doesn't need to to ponder or to weigh or to consider. God's knowledge is so infinitely great, it is so infinitely vast, that all of this seemingly impossible amount of information is known by him not only at the same time and at all times, but he's able to process it all at once so that for example did you ever think that many people throughout the world might be praying at the same time and yet God hears every prayer as if it's the only one that's being prayed at that moment so with that in mind ponder these beautiful words of Psalm 9 verse 12 He forgetteth not the cry of the humble. Which means prayers, beloved, that you prayed, that I've prayed years ago, are not forgotten by God. It's as though they are right in front of his all-seeing mind. Prayers that we can't even put into words, he knows them too. Which is why we read in Romans, likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So if you think about all of this taken together, can we not say with Psalm 145, Uh, 147 verse 5 great is our Lord and of great power his understanding is infinite and Jeremiah 32 19 thine eyes are open upon all the ways of the sons of men to give every one according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings Now, this may all be perhaps interesting, but now we need to bring all this down to our level, to our lives. So that leads us to Psalm 139, the passage we began with. O Lord, writes David, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. David realized 
as I hope we are realizing afresh, that God knew him through and through, that nothing can possibly be hid from God. So David describes, God knows when I sit down, he knows when I get up, he knows and is watching over all my ways, so that in the middle of that psalm, David says, it feels like God has surrounded me, like he's all around me. All of my ways, all of my words are fully known to him. Verse 6, David gets to the point, he confesses, this is overwhelming to think about. It's too high to fathom. It's out of the reach of my finite creaturely mind. So then the question should obviously be, do you and I live in this reality? With a sense of God's all-seeing eye, all-hearing ear, heart-searching focus on us. Do we live with the understanding he knows us through and through? And has the Lord caused us to realize that seeing right through to the very heart level, every motivation, the mixed motivations that lie within us. Has he brought us to that place where knowing that he knows that we repent of our sins, repent of those things he's, he's convicting of, us of, showing us, and, and that we're doing it not just once, but time and again. Doing so with a sense, a growing sense that we desperately need a savior that we need is powerful grace. Has he turned our heart to, to the one, to, to the Savior, who not only knows us completely, and, and nevertheless is still able and is still willing, knowing who we are, knowing what we're like, is still willing to save us, to deliver us, the repentant sinners from sin's bondage, from your bondage and mine. To close out this thought, there, there is no avoiding, there is no escaping, there is no hiding from God. The darkness and the light, they're alike to him. Verse 12, there's no place where we are ever truly alone. Verses 7 to 9, the Lord is, can I put it this way, inescapable. So we will have dealings with him either now or we will face him in judgment later. So our living God, our God, is omniscient. He knows everything, sees everything, so that the text in Hebrews makes plain that literally everything, everything about us, everything that's going on, It is plain in his sight. It is exposed before the eyes of him with whom we have to do, with whom we all have to do. In the second place, excuse me, omniscience and Jesus. Now, it is certainly something mysterious. The interplay of Jesus' divine and human natures. 
So for example, as a, as a young boy, children, Jesus, we read in Luke 2, increased in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God and man. So that tells us, children, that, that Jesus, as a child, as a young man, had to learn just like you have to learn. He wasn't born, let's put it this way, his human nature wasn't born so that the little baby Jesus knew everything about everything consciously. He did show remarkable signs in his learning, even as a young man. You remember when he was in the temple, he was listening to and asking questions of the religious teachers, and those that heard him, we read, were astonished at his understanding and answers. <clears throat> Sorry. And even years later, when Jesus was doing his earthly ministry, people marveled. They said <clears throat> about this carpenter's son, they called him, how knoweth this man letters, having never learned? In other words, Jesus was never a rabbi. He was never a student in a religious school. How does he know what he knows? <clears throat> Sorry. But there were those times, weren't there, when the divine nature, the God nature of Jesus would show through. So there were times when Jesus knew what other people were thinking. And he answered their thoughts as if they were speaking. So, for example, Matthew 9, verse 4, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? In other words, why are you thinking what you're thinking? We read the same in Matthew 12, 25, Luke 5, 22, 6, verse 8, 11, 17, and on. Now, we in our lives, sometimes we can kind of guess what somebody's thinking. We look at their body language. We know their circumstances. He knew what others were thinking. He knows what we're thinking. And he could answer our thoughts as if we were speaking them. And what's really striking, even on the cross... When he was experiencing, we would say, the ultimate physical pain, indescribable spiritual anguish, it says that even then, Jesus knew that as of that moment, he had accomplished everything that Scripture had foretold about him. John nineteen twenty eight, And Jesus, boys and girls, also demonstrated a perfect knowledge of the future. So in chapters like Matthew 24, uh, in Mark 13, he was able to say to his apostles, Behold, I have foretold you all things. And he would go on to describe in detail the destruction of Jerusalem, what events to look for, all the way up to his second coming in glory. And of course, if we go to the book of Revelation... Then we learn that God's son, the lamb that had been slain, he was the one we read that loosed the seals of the book. And that book, as far as we can discern from the context and elsewhere, it was the book of all human history. So Jesus has control. He has knowledge of everything that ever happened and will happen. In that very tender moment, 
when Jesus asked Peter three times, lovest thou me? Did it ever strike you that at the very last question, when Peter was grieved, knowing what he had done to betraying Jesus, that the last time Jesus said that, asked that question, Peter appealed to Jesus' omniscience. He said, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. And he knows if you love him too. That brings up an important, and yet I would describe it as a piercing question concerning us. So Jesus didn't stop knowing all things now that he's in glory, right? He still knows everything about us. So the question is, knowing us as he does, knowing our sins better than we ever could, knowing our weaknesses, knowing our temptations, knowing our past, knowing our hypocrisies, the times when we appear to have it all together and we know full well we don't, knowing us through and through what motivates us, the mixed motives in us, the myriads of twists and turns that take place in the depths of our heart, why would he, knowing all this, have anything to do with us? Why would he, knowing all this, not just send us all off to where we deserve the judgment that our sins have earned, Hell. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Verse 1. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Verse 2. Not a word in my tongue, but Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Whither shall I flee from thy spirit? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? Heaven, thou art there. Hell, thou art there. If I say the darkness will cover me, the darkness and the light are both alike to thee. Even as an unborn child, David said, you knew me. Now, if we think about this very carefully, and if we are sitting here this morning, may God forbid, but if we're sitting here this morning, living apart from salvation in Christ, or believing that perhaps we were saved, but now we don't know where we are, maybe you've, you've kind of fallen into some life or ungodliness or living in sin or whatever it may be, these verses, this understanding of God's knowledge, doesn't that frighten you? Doesn't that even hopefully alarm you, concern you? You know, we can fool other people and be successful at it. We can even fool ourselves, convincing ourselves we're we're something we aren't. Suppressing our guilt, we can live in denial, we can, we can brush over our sins as, as no big thing. But the day will come, and that day will come sooner than any of us think, that everything about us is going to come spilling out. And God help us, if that doesn't happen before we die because it is going to happen in judgment if we die outside of Christ. But here is the beautiful thing. 
What was David's response to that knowledge that God knew everything about him? It's beautiful. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me. And thy right hand, the hand of favor, shall hold me. Isn't that beautiful? Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee. And then at the end of the psalm, how precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. When I awake, I am still with me. Do you see the difference? The vast difference between being in Christ and being outside of Christ, the dread, the fear, the inescapable reality that God knows everything about me on the one hand, but then thank God he knows and still loves me, knows me better than I could ever know myself, and is willing to forgive us our sins. And that's why, beloved, As we see this distinction, he says that when we cast by the grace of God this awful creature that we are on the sacrifice and righteousness of Jesus Christ, we not someday will, we have peace with God, with the God who knows you. And that And I quote, when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So he says, I know all about you. And for my son's sake, when you flee to him and you cling to him, I will erase it all. I will blot out all your transgressions. And for you who are believers by the grace of God, that's your reality now. He looks at you not as you look at yourself. He looks at you as complete in him, as cleansed by him. So that even though we mourn over our sins and we are ashamed of our, of our backslidings, he will chasten us faithfully. He will love us eternally. And so the fact that he knows it all, he knows everything. I hope we are all convinced whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, hiding from God is not an option. Denial is a bit pointless and it's actually poisonous. Excuse making, futile. But the good news is, and it truly is good news, whether for the first time or the 10,000th time, we are being called by God this morning bow before him, confess what we know about ourselves to him, and trust in him that he's willing to forgive it all. In fact, being the all-knowing God, he knew that you would come to that time when you would lay it all before him and he already has, for Christ's sake, forgiven you. I have blotted out as a thick cloud all your transgressions. And that's why we want to seek ongoing grace to live a repentant life, to trust that he is indeed faithful and just. He can justly forgive us all of those sins. So 
I would simply say, if you're not in Christ, I don't know why we would delay a second. Because knowing us as he does, he still says, for Christ's sake, I am the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression and sin. He is even willing to send his Holy Spirit. He says, we being evil fathers, know how to give good gifts to our children. How much more will the Heavenly Father give His Spirit to them that ask Him? For those of us who by God's grace have been inclined by the Spirit to bow the knee to Christ, to confess Him as Lord, to repent of our sins ongoing. The word of God would say to us this morning, let's keep accounts short with God. Meaning, let us stay near to him. Let us not delay repentance. Let us be busy in his word. Let us make time prioritizing his word. Let's be busy with the Lord in prayer, not waiting to confess our sins till a convenient time. And and if we, as, as we sometimes do, if we begin to see ourselves slipping and and growing cold and and feeling distant or or becoming distraction distracted let us not go to some creature comfort or or bury ourselves in something to get our minds off of the mess we've made but to come again to him to come again to the cross to come again to this merciful god because he knows what's the matter before we say it but he wants us to say it so that we are acquainted with his mercy afresh. You know, I think this helps us understand why he says, I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, these sons of Jacob are not consumed. Finally, let's get closer still. Omniscience and man. I'm going to say this carefully. During much of a person's life, God may allow us to live in the illusion that we control things, that we know where we're going, that we know what we're doing. But as I trust we've all seen on numerous occasions, God created us before the fall dependent on his word. I don't think I need to go into details how God told Adam and Eve what they had dominion over, what they should eat, where they would live, who to marry, and on. We were created dependent on his word, not independent of it. I remember a friend of mine years ago saying something I felt was was really helpful. When scripture says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, He went on to point out that the lanterns in those days would only illuminate maybe a foot or two ahead of you. So, that means only a fraction of what we need to know, we do know, and particularly about our future. 
Now, that doesn't mean we can't plan. But that's why we always say, God willing, because we actually don't know the future definitively at all, except that we're going to die or Christ is going to come first. So, scripturally speaking, so far from man being omniscient, scripture describes us as spiritually blind by nature. And that from his perspective, the perspective of the word, that's why we read, for example, in Ephesians 1.18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, and then later ye were sometimes darkness, but now ye are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. Now that you see, walk accordingly. In 1 Corinthians 13, there's that that interesting word at the end where Paul says, even believers, we only know in part. A fulsome understanding is reserved for glory. When we shall, and this is amazing, we shall know as we have been known. Imagine that. So what I'm trying to say, what God is trying to say to us this morning is to know ourselves rightly, we need God's word. To interpret and discern life in this world, we need God's word. To know him rightly, to worship him as we ought, we need God's word. And so we need God's word for literally everything. And we need the ministry of the Holy Spirit to open our understanding so that we might understand the scriptures. Luke 24, 45. And we ought to therefore pray in an ongoing way for the ministry of the Spirit to do just that. Now, children, let me get back to you a minute more directly. If, if you would see somebody kind of stumbling along and bumping into things and, and tripping over things, and, and you start to realize this person can't see very well. But then let's say you knew of a doctor who had just the cure for what that person was suffering is. Wouldn't you want to lead that person to that doctor? I mean, then that person wouldn't have to stumble anymore, bump into things, trip over things. You would be a huge help to that person. Well, we see all around us people who stumble from one trouble into another, who are routinely making terrible choices whose motives are anything but God glorified and as believers doesn't it pain your heart to see people doing that like repeatedly maybe you have loved ones who you grieve over because you know the cure and they don't see the problem but there is one who opens the eyes of the spiritually blind and who give spiritual life to the lifeness, but what do we need to go to that physician? Some of you might be thinking grace, the ministry of the Spirit, all true, but you know what we, what we need? Humility. Did you ever meet those people who you know they need to see a doctor and they just are too stubborn to do it? And you watch them decline and you watch their lives fall apart and you you wish you could just take them and say look don't you see 
But as a believer, you also realize you can't open their eyes. You can't convince them that they are as sick as they are. We need a healing touch of Christ. We do need to trust that his word is enough to literally guide us by principle or precept or inference in every decision we need to make, in every path that we need to take. And God is so kind, beloved, that knowing everything about us like he does, he tells us there is help to be had. Even at the very start of that journey, he says in Hebrews 4, verse 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. And children, if you want a, a more a, a picture you can kind of see in your mind, we read in Matthew 9 that blind men came to Jesus. He said to them, what would you have me to do? They simply said that, I, that we would receive our sight. And Jesus asked them, believe ye that I am able to do this. And they said unto him, Yea, Lord, yes. Then touched he their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes were opened. It is sad that there are people today who say, Well, that was then and this is now. Things like that don't happen anymore. But that very attitude is pride. It's a cover for the humility we need to say, Lord, I am blind. The humility we need to say, but Lord, I do believe that thou art able to do this for me. And Jesus called that belief in his ability, Jesus called it faith. We sometimes wonder, is he willing to do this for us? Jesus didn't even go there. The willingness was a given. The blind men wouldn't have come to him if they didn't believe he was willing. So he asked them, do you think I can do it? And they said, yes. And he called that faith. Do you believe it? Do you believe that Jesus is willing as a given? That when he says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, that whosoever believeth in me. Do you believe that? Or do you keep redefining those terms in your mind to exclude yourself? And I would suggest out of a false humility. (coughs) We as humans want to know. God wants us to trust. We pray for outcomes. God says, I am your outcome. Believe in me. Don't rely on outcomes of your prayers. Rely on me. Do you believe that I will give you what you need when you need it, bit by bit, a day at a time, situation by situation? You know, one of the most beautiful promises in the book of Jeremiah 24-7 reads, I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord and they shall be my people and I will be their God 
And the beautiful follow-up to that promise in Jeremiah, the fruit of coming to know the Lord, they shall return unto me with their whole heart. So no matter who we are, no matter what our situation, this is a blessed place to be. There shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. So boys and girls, we still have to learn and study, whether at home, in homeschooling or at school. We still have to learn lessons in the workplace and learn our skills and our trade But there is a God who knows everything, who knows us comprehensively, who is everywhere present, and, and this is the amazing thing, who is willing to impart, to give us something of his knowledge, his wisdom, his understanding, his insight, if we come to him for it. And that's his promise. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not. So he's not going to fault you for asking. And it shall be given to him. So may we not dare to pray The prayer of Psalm 119, Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I have believed thy commandments. And can we not trust the Lord to keep this promise? If thou criest after knowledge, lift us up thy voice for understanding. If thou seek her as silver, search for her as hid treasures, then thou shalt understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. I know some of you are in business. Some of you are pretty bright. You probably work really hard to establish your business. You've studied hard to get where you are. Hardworking people, right? God says, if you work that hard for silver, if you seek that bargain like it's hid treasure, if you do that for my knowledge, for my understanding, you will not only have what you've asked, but I'll give you the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God. So as we close, are we going to live our lives as the granddaughter? Are we going to live our lives saying, can't see me, Grandpa? Will we live our lives even as a believer who is perhaps falling to the wayside a bit, drifting a little bit from God, are we going to, as a believer even, live as if he isn't who he is? Or, and here is an amazing thought, will we turn to the Savior who in his own mind so knew what was waiting for him, who knew perfectly the agony he was about to endure, who knew to the nth degree the depths of the cumulative wrath of God that 
every believer of all time deserved, who perfectly knew so well what was about to happen to him that he literally had squeezed out of him drops of blood and yet did it. Did it for people like you and me. People he knows through and through and yet went through with it. Isaiah 53, 11, maybe summarize it the best way. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant, Jesus, justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Know therefore this day and consider in thine heart that the Lord, he is God in heaven and upon the earth, heaven above, upon the earth beneath, there is none else. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that made us and not we ourselves. We, by sovereign providence, are his people, the sheep of his pasture. So let me close this Lord's Day morning service with this quotation from Scripture. Know thou the God of thy Father. Serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. For, because, the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. Amen. Let us sing in response to the word of God. Psalter. That I thought I would be praying between the Psalter and the doxology. So my mistake, but we ought to give thanks to God for his word. Heavenly Father, what can we say Thou knowest us through and through, and yet, knowing even everything we will do, everything we have done, everything we are doing, thou did not hesitate to send thy Son. He did not hesitate to come. And now, the sending of thy Spirit, so that all these things may connect to us personally. Lord, make it so, either for the first time or afresh. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Receive the blessing of the Lord.